Crisis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Facebook tightens its political ad rules and the rise of strawberry picking robots. But first, Elon Musk's power outage. So when most people think of Elon Musk, they tend to think about Tesla or SpaceX or maybe even PayPal, which he founded previously, or even further, maybe flamethrowers or Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. But in upstate New York, Musk is known primarily for promising to pull the region out of its post-steelmaking doldrums by pledging to build thousands of solar energy panels per day out of a gleaming white factory in Buffalo, which would employ up to 5,000 people. But it hasn't really worked out that way. As detailed in a new Vanity Fair piece by Bethany McLean, a veteran business journalist known for helping to expose the fraud at Enron. The history here is that Tesla, a few years back, bought Solar City, which had been founded by Musk's cousins in an arguably conflicted deal that remains the subject of shareholder litigation. Musk then did what Musk does, made huge mouthwatering promises, getting Buffalo so excited that the state of New York gave him $750 million to build the new factory, dubbed Gigafactory 2. Trouble is, Solar City didn't really know how to make solar panels. It had always bought them elsewhere and then provided installation and consumer financing. And from what McLean can tell, it still doesn't necessarily know how to do it now, at least not as well as any rivals, thus creating a giant money suck for Tesla today and a giant headache for public officials like Governor Andrew Cuomo, who championed the factory, which right now employs fewer than 350 people. The bottom line is that Buffalo is a long way from Silicon Valley, where vaporware and reality distortion fields are the norm. For the city, it's yet another massive disappointment. For Musk and Tesla, it's become a financial and reputational albatross, and it's unclear how either side gets this thing right side up again. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Vanity Fair's Bethany McLean. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Bethany McLean, a contributing editor to Vanity Fair and host of the Making a Killing podcast on Luminary. What prompted you to look at Solar City in the first place? So, you know, I'm a long-form magazine journalist, so I don't have a specific beat. And I actually, this is embarrassing, but I didn't know the Buffalo factory existed. It wasn't part of the well-known headline sort of Tesla narrative. And so when a source told me about it and said I should take a closer look at what was going on in Buffalo, I thought it was interesting and perhaps could tell a broader story about Musk and Tesla. Elon Musk obviously isn't a stranger to capital-intensive, hardware-focused tech businesses. I mean, this is a guy whose other companies make cars and rocket ships. Why, from your perspective, has Solar City proven so much more complicated? Is it about the financing piece or the technology piece? Well, I don't think there ever was a technology piece, and I think that's part of the problem. The company started by assembling solar roofs made from other people's products. So their belief was they could do it faster and cheaper by taking over the entire process and financing the roofs up front. But it was a financial engineering play. It wasn't a real engineering play. The only technology they ever had was when Solar City bought this company called Salevo that was the original tenant in the Buffalo factory. And that technology didn't prove out. It turned out not to be worth what they had paid. So they never had any technology. The promise of technology came when Musk was trying to convince Tesla shareholders to approve the bailout, I'm sorry, acquisition of Solar City, And he rolled out this thing called the solar roof. And that was the first real promise of technology. You talk in the piece about how you, know, you mentioned somebody who had paid $2,000 for a solar roof and never showed up. And outside of kind of relentless tweeting at Musk, he couldn't even get his money back. Does the solar roof exist in any form right now? Can I buy one? <laughs> 
Well, you can sign up to get one. That's a different thing. How the install goes and where, whether the product works or not is a matter of hot debate. Elon Musk says he tweeted earlier that they were going to be that they were ramping up and there were going to be lots of installations. I think he said a thousand a week by the end of 2019. He's made promises about where a solar roof would go in the past, and they haven't shaken out yet. But this is a huge point of contention between bulls and bears. Is there actually a solar roof? Will there ever be a solar roof? Or is it the solar city version of vaporware? I don't know what you'd call it, sunware, vaporware? I think vaporware. <laughs> so, like yeah. Magnetic wear? I don't know. That works. I, I'm wondering, you know, when you look, you know, Tesla is, I think, the most shorted stock on Wall Street, obviously has a lot of bears and a lot of bulls. From your perspective, when you look at it, how much of kind of the albatross around Tesla's neck is is Solar City obviously Tesla itself has some problems just in the car making, but is Solar City really the thing that's bringing cash flow down there? I think Solar City has been a problem. I think it has reduced the cash flow there and it has increased the debt. I think it is an albatross around Tesla's neck. That said, if Tesla gets it all together and starts rolling off production lines, beautifully made cars that are $30,000 and do everything Musk has promised and they've got an autonomous taxi fleet ready to go by next year or whenever he said it would be, Solar City is going to be a blip in the narrative. It won't end up mattering. But if Musk needs more time and things don't play out on the time, frame that he's he's suggested he needs to go back to the capital markets again and again for more money while he tries to get his dreams to be actuality, then I think SolarCity could be a real problem. There's a debate about how responsible for SolarCity's debt Tesla is, but there's $3 billion of it, some of which is still left. There's a potential fine coming in the Buffalo region from New York if they can't get the promised number of jobs in that region soon. Is there any talk of just killing it? Could he just shut down Solar City? Obviously, there's a debt issue there, but if he just shut the thing down. So I think the bigger issue with just shutting the thing down is that it would concede one of the major points in the lawsuit, which is that the acquisition of Solar City was a bailout of Solar City and that the Tesla board was conflicted in approving it. And I think at least there's an argument that you have to keep this idea of the solar roof and this idea that Solar City is fantastic going because the lawsuit is hanging over their heads. And look, if there's a big judgment in that lawsuit, it's a problem for Tesla. You mentioned these potential fines in Buffalo which are tied to the number of jobs Solar City slash Tesla has in the Buffalo region. Do you have any sense on how much local regulators slash authorities slash legislators there, how much appetite they have to actually find Tesla in Solar City? Because on the one hand, it brings in money. On the other hand, it kind of admits that they screwed up. It's an awesome question. And I think if you look at the path of events so far, you would say there's no appetite to enforce the fines because there's been no appetite to hold Tesla's feet to the fire in any way, shape or form, much to the detriment of taxpayers. The original agreement was amended 10 times, at least to my reading, every time in Tesla's favor, mammothly so. And the taxpayers in New York didn't get anything in exchange for those amendments. And thus far, there seems to have been very little appetite to hold Tesla's feet to the fire in any way. So you're right. They could just allow Tesla to skate away from this unless there's public attention on it. And then maybe they'll care. Bethany, since this piece came out about a week ago, I think what's been the reaction you've gotten? And I'm going to probably ask you to segment that a little bit into kind of the Tesla folks on social media who are legion and then maybe also folks in Buffalo who are less public. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I did not anticipate this because in some ways, look, some of the breaking news on this has been covered really well by the local press in Buffalo. And I sort of thought my piece was well, a good magazine context piece. I wasn't sure. I didn't expect the fur that it would generate. And look, Tesla's, as you say, it's a religious war between the believers and the doubters. And it's like any religious war in history. And those who get in the middle of it, well, you just better watch out or you might find yourself beheaded, burned at the stake, whatever it is. So that's been interesting. I have heard, though, 
calmly and quietly from people in Buffalo as well as other people, as well as other former Solar City people saying thank you so much for, for taking a look at this and for telling our side of the story. Bethany, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. That was Bethany McLean, a contributing editor of Vanity Fair and host of the Making a Killing podcast on Luminary. If you listen to it, she will make a killing off the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which is tightening its rules to make sure that political advertisers are who they say they are. So for starters, advertisers going forward will need to provide much more information about themselves to Facebook, things like street addresses and federal tax ID or federal election commission ID numbers. If they don't do so by October, their ads will be blocked. Moreover, Facebook doesn't plan to allow any ads that discourage people from voting. These are clearly moves in the right direction, even if way overdue, because remember, Remember, none of those rules that govern political ads for radio or TV apply online. So platforms like Facebook are basically forced to do the jobs we supposedly elected Congress to do. And finally, this morning, a California company called Advanced Farm Technologies announced it's raised seven and a half million dollars in venture capital funding from, among others, a unit of Yamaha Motors. The company focuses on agricultural robots and in particular machines that pick strawberries. Why it matters is that U.S. farms are facing a major shortage of seasonal workers right now, partially because of immigration crackdowns and partially because a strong employment market doesn't lead many to choose exhausting, often painful manual labor for low wages. In fact, some berry farmers argue that if they can't automate much of their harvest, we won't be seeing berries on shelves out of season. The trouble, though, is that robots so far just aren't very good at this because ripe berries are very fragile and often hide beneath leaves, which is why startups like AFT exist and why big companies like Yamaha are in Investing big money. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great National Red Wine Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.